Welcome to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Join attorneys James Moore, Kevin Littlejohn, and Misty Blagg as they explore law, technology, and persuasive arguments. Sit back, relax, and listen to your Zealous Advocate. Welcome to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. We're so happy to have you today. I'm Misty Blagg, attorney here at Shipman and Wright. I'm joined by my colleagues and friends most of the time until they're telling me to get out of their chair. Um, <laughs> wow. James Moore. We're never going to get past that. <laughs> and Kevin Littlejohn. And we have a wonderful guest with us today, Colin Levy. Colin, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Really, uh, really excited about this. Colin is the director of legal at Malbec, which is a legal technology company, and he has recently released a book, The Legal Tech Ecosystem, Innovation, Advancement, and the Future of Law Practice. What a huge accomplishment, Colin. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to write a book? That's a great question. Uh, Well, I had always loved writing uh writing for me has been pretty therapeutic um so i had written a lot um just none of it really made sense all together kind of was just a bunch of different thoughts i'd written down um and then in 2020 when the world shut down um i didn't have a whole lot to do um Mm -hmm. i mean i had some work but not a ton of stuff to do so i thought all right well you know what here's the time i'll start writing this book I thought, oh, this won't be that bad. I already have half of it written anyway. This should be pretty easy, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, three years years (laughs) later, it finally came out, and I realized, yeah, next time I write a book, I'm going to be a lot more aware of what I just signed up for to do. Um, But I was really excited about writing it because it was kind of a long-standing culmination, frankly, of a dream of mine to not just write a book, but to write a book about legal tech and to help inform and inspire others about this area that had uh, long been my passion and also has been an area that I think as we've seen, especially this year, having a dramatic impact upon the practice of law. Yeah, I think we're really starting to see that, aren't we? I mean, but I still think there's such a huge gap, you know, between like your your big, bigger law firms who are starting really to implement it and your, you know, small to medium sized firms. Colin, how do you think we get over the hump to more implementation? Mm. So I think it starts with kind of sort of debunking a few myths about technology in terms of law practice. One is that there are all sorts of solutions for all different types of firms, um, small, medium, large. So it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, if you want to put in place a tool, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, spend a whole lot of money doing it. And, you know, you're not going to be able to find the right tool because you're going to get more than what you want and it's going to be more expensive and take more time. There are a lot of tools that are very accessible and very easy to use. There also now are a number of no-code solutions, meaning solutions you can actually use to create your own, you know, preferred tool for your own firm without having to code at all, without just kind of using a drag and drop interface. So that's another really great thing. Uh, And in addition, you know, a lot of us use existing tools already, Word, Excel, whatever, uh, and we can start by making better use of those tools as well because they have a exactly. lot of built in functionality we don't often think of using. And that's partly because they're kind of buried behind other functions. So we are kind of, you know, only assume that what we see with these tools is what we get when there's a lot more behind no, what we're seeing. I think that's a great point because there's all kinds of add ins. And we saw that when we um, brought on Jacqueline Schaefer with Clear Brief. I was not even aware that was an add on. Mm, I didn't know either. But. 
Yeah, Jacqueline's great. I love I love her product, um, and she's just been a terrific um, advocate for the space. What really sparked your interest into legal tech and AI? Because you mentioned earlier that you had kind of been navigating this arena for quite some while. It's just starting to grab my attention maybe in the last three years, but it sounds like you've been you've been fighting on the front lines for far longer. So what really got you interested in this field? So that's a really good question. I think it started with actually kind of a a fear I had of technology back when I was in high school. I kind of saw technology as um, intrusive and as annoying in some ways. And also I found it fairly clunky and hard to use. But I also realized that Look, we're at the really start of, of technology here. So, you know, let me continue to follow along and start using more technology. And I started using more of it. Uh, I realized how useful it can be and how accessible it can be if it was sort of used in the right context. And so as I started learning more about the space, I realized that context was really important for informing me about best use cases for technology. And also, frankly, that Technology is not one size fits all. There's all different solutions, all different computers out there for any individual person. So, you know, it's really pretty um, amenable to whatever your background is. Um, and I'm now actually at the point where I have uh, a PC and a Mac, a Mac I use for work, and a PC I use solely for video gaming. Um, oh, so I, you sound like I'm my daughter. I'm pretty switching back and forth, whereas uh, earlier in my life I was very much just a PC person through and through. And then I realized that uh, I didn't need to be. Now, the book that you wrote, did you did you write that book in conjunction with Malbec or is that just a separate journey you went on aside from your career with Malbec? So that was that was aside from from mm. Malbec. I've been I've been with Malbec now for uh, a little more than two years. So I started writing this book um, a year before I joined Malbec. Mm. Um and uh and yeah and that's actually the other book that i that i edited okay um, so we, yes there's well. a, so there's it's a been, brand it's new been one. a busy year because i had a number of different projects going on but um but frankly you know the the book really was um complimentary in some ways the work that i do for malbec because it speaks to some of the issues that malbec tries to solve on the contracting front but also speaks more broadly about just the issue of finding the right tech for you and being user centric, which are both things that are very much at the forefront of Malbec's mind when we're trying to uh, encourage people to check us out. Mm. James, what do you think one of the biggest pain points is in, you know, taking on this legal tech journey? You know, I for, we could get a different word than pain point. I like that word. I can't stand that you word. Don't, you hate that word? That's a very pain corporate point. term, pain, pain point. point. <laughs> <laughs> Keep but, going, Misty. I think it's an appropriate word. But, but no, I mean, seriously, like, why, why aren't we using it? Why aren't we doing more with it now? Well, this this was actually a, a, a question I was going to pose to Colin, and, and, you know, I'll answer the question, but then, you know, Colin, I'm going to turn it over to you for a little bit more insight you know for me and we've talked about this in the past is is change mm -hmm. you know where you get used to doing something a certain way especially with respect to technology this is iphones all the updates that we get we get so irritated with the new updates and oh i hate the new iphone updates so so it, go, it. it goes with the legal tech as well you mm -hmm. you begin to come accustomed to doing things certain ways and then implementing new technology to completely change it although it would be more efficient you're having to change the way you do it and 
for me, you know, an older attorney now, I think that's one of the, one of the biggest difficulties. And, and Colin, I, I wanted to ask you, and this was kind of on my mind as you were talking, when you're discussing, you know, legal tech with law firms, big and small, is, is change a big impediment that you see for, you know, law firms to actually utilize the technology? So I think in general, change is hard for, for people. Uh, people don't like change really. Once they find a, a way of working, they tend to stick with it. Uh, and I think therefore, when you're talking about trying to enact a change that is perhaps a little more drastic or substantive, it gets even harder. Mm -hmm. um, not to mention the fact that technology can kind of be a fairly divisive issue for, for many people. So I think really to kind of overcome that resistance, if you will, to change starts with understanding why people are resistant to change and also why they like working the way they do. Sure. And also perhaps what could be better about how they work and then using that information then to sort of frame how you go about talking about change, whether it be using a new tool or doing something differently with an existing tool or what have you. So I think it really starts with kind of meeting people where they are, which is also something that I tend to be very much focused in on, which is just people first, you know, people process then tech and, and really meet people where they are and understand that it starts and ends with people. No, I think that's an important point. And it has to sort of be, a, I think, an organizational goal as well. It can't just be one person's journey in a 15-person firm, right? It, sure. That's very difficult to accomplish. So it's it's getting, meeting people where you are and getting that buy-in from your stakeholders, I think, is is so essential. Yeah. Kevin, what do you for what do you see as you know what's going to give Kevin. us over our bump? Is it going to be the Gen Zers? Are they going to get us over the bump? <clears throat> well, I think I think that is going to be part of the equation mm -hmm. with respect to the solution for the future with legal tech. There's going to be there's got to be drivers behind it, mm -hmm. and so we've got the you know old guard sort of phasing out who is I would say more resistant to legal tech, and then you've got probably our range who is. Influenced heavily by the old guard, but beginning to see the benefits of, you That's know, technological assistance. And then you're going to have the younger attorneys who have only grown up with AI and yeah. technological assistance and things that they've done. And so I think that'll be one of the main things that, you know, is driving sort of that uh, integration of AI. I also think it's going to come down to results as well. If it begins to be pretty prevalent advantage. that results are mm -hmm. driven by the assistance of AI in a mm -hmm. lot of cases and discovering things of that sort, then you, you'll have no choice but to then, you know, buy into the use of AI. So I think it's going to be a combination of younger uh, voices in the profession along with results from the use of AI and that'll yeah. certainly bring it bring it full circle. Well you know, I, I follow a couple of Facebook pages where it's, you know, just small firm owners starting up and they're talking about all of these different applications. I have no idea what existed out there, but it's these younger folks trying to find a way to start their firm and do it cheaper in a way they can manage it. Mm -hmm. And they've got virtual assistants. They've got mm -hmm. this AI writing demand letters. I mean I think they might be the ones that could carry it across. Yeah. What do you think, Colin? So I think certainly the generational uh, change will drive some of it for sure. Uh, I think also the fact that, you know, technology is not stopping. It doesn't care. It doesn't have feelings. It's going to continue to advance. 
So it's continue to, I think, grow in power and, and impact, impact and influence upon the legal industry. I also think that a lot of part of it will also be driven um, to results, as was said earlier. And in terms of what clients are expecting from their legal, mm-hmm. from from their lawyers, uh, frankly, you know, I think that clients are often at the forefront of understanding kind of what's happening out in the world uh, on the tech front and elsewhere. And they're going to be looking for their legal professionals to be adept with the technologies that they are aware of and or be aware of other ones that could better help them. Uh, In addition, I think there's going to be, and we're already seeing this in some part at the larger law firm level, but I think we're going to see it also at the other levels as well, which is the more data-driven way of operating rather than relying on someone's experience and kind of experienced results, if you will. It's going to be more driven by data. What does the data show about what's been successful in the past and what's been successful in the future with respect to perhaps a transaction or a litigation matter or even potentially more specifically a line of argument that's being made before a court uh, because there are all sorts of tools that can help with all those things. And those tools are only going to grow more powerful as AI itself grows more powerful. Making you nervous, well, Kevin. I will say down. this, That's a Colin. Great point, Colin. I will say this, and James <laughs> is going to agree with this, but he won't agree with it publicly. <laughs> if you tell me that the AI model has predicted a certain argument will likely fail, as a competitor and as a as a practitioner, it would then excite me to pr- to prove that wrong. Game on. I think it's game on because I've seen I've seen it happen where cases. You know, their precedent was one way, and then there was one tiny little fact, and one judge who didn't, who didn't, who didn't care, or maybe did care enough to make their own decision, go the other way. Yeah, but that's, that's going to be you a do. part of it, though. That's Kevin. what you got to do. Well, and, I think, and, go ahead, James. I was just going to say, and as Colin, Colin was talking, I, I, I was just sitting there thinking, are, are we still practicing law? Yeah, I mean, that's it, a fact. What is the practice of law now if we have all this <clears> technology? I mean, especially, and I'm thinking from like a contractual standpoint yeah. mm-hmm. if we have this this technology in place where you know i scan in a document a contract and it just provides me the provisions that should be in that contract based upon whatever you know the industry is whatever we're talking yeah. about am i still practicing law Mister? it's a tool it's just like doctors now in medicine are using ai and, it, and it's a tool that ultimately you decide am i going to apply that tool i know colin tell me i know malbec has a contract solution um is that using ai at all so it is and i use it myself and and in terms of the broader point about uh you know what it means to be a lawyer certainly technology i think is impacting that mean in asking us to ask ourselves what it means to practice law. And I think currently and going forward, it's going to continue to mean practice law means what we, you know, traditionally think of as doing as doing legal work, but augmented by technology. Because mm-hmm. uh, technology, regardless of what it is, AI related or not, is imperfect uh, because it's created by imperfect people, which are humans. So I think, therefore, we need to account for that. And there's always going to be a human element needed to provide oversight and double checking of, of work done by technology. Now, will that always be the case? Not necessarily, but for the foreseeable future, it will be because these technologies continue to evolve and continue to get more sophisticated, but at the same time, the world itself changes. And so I think it's going to continue to be an evolving relationship, but definitely augment, um, augmentation would be the mm. word I would use to describe the relationship between lawyers and technology going forward. And well, oh, 
I, ahead, I was just going to say, Colin, you bring up a great point, and we've talked about this in the mm-hmm. past too, with with the uh, with utilizing you know the 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 legal tech. The expectation from lawyers, from individuals, is that the technology is perfect, mm-hmm. and yes. and and when it's and when it's not, our immediate reaction is, I can't rely upon that mm-hmm. anymore. So we're going to go back to the old way yes. of doing things. And it's interesting that you say that, Colin, because that should be the perception that everyone has. It's created by imperfect people. Therefore, it's going to be imperfect. But, you know, from a from a user standpoint, we always we always want it or expect it to be, you know, perfect, whatever it is. Uh, so I well, because you know, honestly, it goes back to what is being a human. You know, we have self doubt, mm, and that's we, a philosophical we, journey to go mm, on right yeah. there. What is being human? What is being human? I think we ha- all have self doubt, especially as an attorney. And if we could rely on except a solution, Kevin, Misty, except Kevin. <laughs> oh, well, that's a good point. Kevin has no self doubt. <laughs> but if we could rely on a solution that we knew, okay, if it says yes, it's a great argument. Then yes, it's a great argument. I mean, I think attorneys, you know, would love that. But, but then we get blown out it. of the water, Misty. Yeah. We're like, what just happened? Yeah. This was supposed to be the great argument. <laughs> How do we grapple, though, Colin? I know we're doing this in healthcare, and I'm a healthcare attorney, so I'm always, you know, dragging that in here. Um, but we're grappling with bias in algorithms in healthcare. How are we doing that in the legal field? So I think we haven't figured out yet how to fully address that that growing concern and, and issue uh, because it's driven, you know, bias in AI and in legal is driven in part by the data that we use to train mm-hmm. these models that AI uses. Um, and that data may, may have inherent biases that we have ourselves it may not necessarily be aware of those. So I think there's definitely a need to be more fully aware of own inherent biases and how that could impact the data that we use and rely upon uh, with respect to technology. I'd say in addition, um, it's incumbent upon, I would say, the the vendors that are providing technologies uh, that especially are AI driven to be more open and transparent about their data, where it's coming from, how it's used, how it's being collected and so on. Uh, because I think that lack of transparency also gives some people pause, particularly those in the legal industry. Um, and lastly, I would say that I think it's important to be aware of the fact that, you know, humans in general, we all have our own biases and prejudice right. about anything and everything. And we carry those with us no matter where we are. So it's important, I think, to be more cognizant of those when using these tools and be on the lookout for potential biases that reflect our own in the tools that we use um, because the tools largely will, you know, depending on how they're trained, reflect the biases of those who have created them. I have a question, and this is maybe a question that we should have asked a long time ago. Colin, and it's because I do not know the answer. Talk to me about the difference when we talk about AI. What's the difference between, if there is one at all, artificial intelligence, like large language models, predictive you know technology like what what makes them is one of them actually learning is one of them only using information that's been input into a system to make a you know prediction you know where's the difference in those three sort of buckets sure so that's a great question um because i think people often conflate and confuse all of them uh so artificial intelligence it generally speaking encompasses 
sort of a broad array of different types of technologies, many of which are used, are, are trained on what's called large language models, which essentially are large amounts of large data sets, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. So large language models power a lot of artificial intelligence, at least generative artificial intelligence solutions. And what I mean by generative artificial intelligence solutions are those like ChatGPT that we interact with and mm-hmm. treat as if we're talking to someone and then they provide us with a, a text or visual output. Those rely largely on large language models. With respect to predictive analytics, those may rely on artificial intelligence, not necessarily large language models per se, but rely on sort of a more, uh, a, a different type of artificial intelligence that basically takes a boatload of data and you make a query to it and it provides you with analysis of that data set in terms of, you know, this has a probability of this happening or this is a likelihood of this happening. Mm-hmm. And that may or may not be generative. It depends on kind of what the output is. If it's just sort of a percentage, that's not necessarily generative. If it's providing like a textual analysis, then it might be generative. But there are distinct differences. Um, and I think they're important to be aware of because I think, again, people sometimes conflate the three and especially conflate large language models yeah. with AI and large language models underlie or uh, generative AI, but they don't necessarily underlie all of AI. And AI also more generally has existed for quite some time before this year. What just has changed is now it's a lot more accessible because there are solutions that you can interact with as you would interact with, you know, a human being. See, I would see, I'm comfortable. I think with predictive analytics, I think I'm comfortable with that. Why Why do you feel like explain that, Kevin? I want to hear about it. why would you feel more comfortable and, with that than some of the other things? And this goes back to our discussion. We always have about why can you be OK with going to a doctor and them telling you you've got whatever high blood pressure without actually knowing what they saw? Yeah, um, I am more comfortable with the predictive analytics based upon what I've heard from from Colin, because it seems to me that there is a step that's not included in predictive analytics that's included into AI or these, these large language models that give, are you talking about the learning? You, the, learning, the learning? Yeah, but generate a response. I think if I know that something is just grabbing from a pool of information and data and compiling it statistically and just saying, here's what the statistics are. Mm-hmm. Here's what the probability is. I'm fine with it. But once you say, okay, here's what the statistics are. Here's what the probability is. And here's here's the the best way to, here's the best way to attack it for for certain outcomes. Then I'm like, okay, I'd rather make that final step than a computer program. Make the final step. You're concerned about the learning, but, but with some of those predictive analytics, and I may be wrong about this, Colin. So, so please weigh in. It, It is learning. That's why it can be more predictive. The more you feed it data, the more it's analyzing data, it's finding new predictions. Am I right there? Yeah. So it it is learning. I think though, what's important to understand is that the way these models learn is not the same way you and I think of as, as learning. You know, it's, it's not as though these are uh, tools that are thinking for themselves, if you will. They're more learning based off of outputs and instructions that you've given it or given it more data and it now knows more because you've actually given it more data, so it's more aware of, of, of other things. Uh, so it's not, you know, acting on its own sort of in some kind of autonomous way. Uh, are we, will we ever reach that point where, you know, there will be tools that will 
be acting on their own in a human-like way. At some point, yes, I, I think uh, I think don't think that's an outrageous prediction, but I think we're a ways away from that because, um, in part, we aren't fully aware of how our own consciousness works. You know, we're, we don't fully understand our own brain. So, for us to try to replicate our own brain artificially uh, is a really tough challenge, considering we have such limited information currently in terms of how we're self-aware. So, that's, I that's think that a great point. Have have you ever heard of Dr. Marvin Minsky? I've heard the name before. I'm not I can't oh. say I'm intimately familiar with, with his work. Well he's been coined as the godfather of artificial intelligence and I was curious if you had a chance to read any of his research on somehow developing some process in which we I guess impute consciousness into the mind of a computer. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, yeah, let's I mean, go go ahead, Colin. I was going to say, there's been a lot of stuff written about that possibility. And what is cool is we have reached a point now where they're able to input, uh, you know, neurons or um, uh, not neurons, uh, input implants into our brain to help us artificially talk or use an artificial limb or something like that, which is actually kind of cool and shows the sophistication of both the technology as well as our own brain. But in terms of extracting or recreating our own consciousness elsewhere outside of our brain, uh, it's really, it'd be really hard to do because again, we, we know it's a little about our own brain. So, you know, I don't know if any of you watched, you know, Black Mirror or some of that is explored in different ways. Uh, yeah, that's not realistic anytime soon. Um, in large part because we're humans and we have a hard time understanding how we're human, let alone understanding how to recreate our humanness elsewhere. So true. Well, how do you, th I mean, we're right on the cusp. I believe the EU just passed an AI act. Um, and then, then it's being discussed, you know, but Biden brought forth some initiatives here um, on passing some legislation. What would be some top points, some top things you would like to see in an AI um, legislative in a rule or an act? Well, uh, I would say that I'm pretty skeptical of there being effective legislation right now with respect to AI, partly because we're at such the early stages of it. Mm. That being said, I think what the EU has been doing, and the EU has generally been more proactive than the U.S. with respect to addressing emerging tech, is a number of things. Um, and, and these are things I would like to see myself is, you know, focus on sort of the ethical use of AI, what right. that means. Um, you know, the boundaries of kind of how it can be used and when and where, uh, and also greater transparency with respect to its use, and also some assessing of its of its safety, depending on how it's being used and in what context. And that's something that I think Biden's executive order pointed to, uh, and that's something that I, I believe the AU, uh, EU AI Act as well uh, points to a little bit as well. Um, but, you know, I think the greatest challenge really with, with any attempt to regulate is not the fact is not just trying to regulate, but the fact that AI is going to evolve very, very quickly and laws don't tend to evolve very right. quickly at all. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a need to kind of build in some trans some uh, adaptability and flexibility yeah. with respect to these proposed laws. And that it's very hard to do and often not done that well and that's what i was just thinking yeah. about you know and i was and that's what i was thinking about 
Colin, on a capability perspective with respect to AI, how can AI help be the driver of change, whether it be social or cultural or legal change, given that it's got to receive information from whoever? And I'm thinking about, let's like, let's say AI existed in the civil rights era. How would you be able or could you would AI be useful in that arena saying, hey, and I'm just speaking generally, get me to a place or write me a letter or position based upon the law where, you know, Jim Crow needs to be abolished or where, you know, discrimination needs to be addressed a certain kind of way because nothing existed that had that. How would AI or could AI even attack something like that for change to occur? It's an interesting question. I think that. You know, societal change brought about by AI is going to be sort of brought about first by small changes in behavior in terms of how we work, in terms of what we use, what we use to perform different tasks, um, in terms of you know writing a letter or um, perhaps you know drafting some kind of um, post or what have you. It certainly could have been effective back then. I also think that, and this is something that I think is of concern, particularly to governments is AI's ability to replicate a human voice and human mm-hmm. expression and human right. being and have them say different things, which may or may not be things that they've actually said uh, and potentially in different languages that they may or may not know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that definitely can have an impact in terms of people's susceptibility to being influenced by these tools and being led astray um, so, you know, I think that societal change being brought about by AI and technology is uh, something that's been underway for some time, but it's definitely going to require, I think, some close evaluation of yeah. what it of what's real and what's not particularly online. I listened to a whole or two Drake songs that I thought were Drake that were not Drake. Oh. Right when they were doing that voice thing and I was sending it out. Get that new Drake. Wasn't even him, like man. I was, I was like, dog, it sounded just like him. Well, I want to talk about okay, I'm a I'm a Avengers nerd. I loved watching mm. the Avengers. And you had, you know, one of them where they're in this where they're all around the table, like we are here, and it's all of their, Is this gonna be a spoiler? their holograms. If you haven't watched the Agen- the Avengers, then dang James. You need I, I to have, get out I, more. I, mean, I, I think we need to tell our, our, our audience though, Misty. You might be yeah. you might be giving a seven year old flick. <laughs> but anyway, are we gonna ever hold court Kids, like that? Kevin. I think Kids. that's where I'm getting to, Con. Do you ever see um, where we're gonna use this mixed reality um, and, and and instead of just looking at a computer screen? Oh, absolutely, for sure. Um, I've already been a part of um, some virtual worlds. Uh, I've actually given a presentation in a virtual world before through not even a virtual reality headset, but just through an app on on the web, so using an avatar. So certainly I think we're not that far away from that. In terms of holograms themselves, though, and replicating ourselves somewhere else, we're getting there. Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility, and it will get there at some point. I don't know exactly when or how long it will take, but we're definitely definitely getting there. And, you know, virtual reality and, art and, and slash augmented reality is definitely here to stay and growing in terms of how it's being used. So I, I certainly think that um, that is not some kind of outrageous possibility. Now, if you're talking about, you know, 
uh, teleporting yourself from one place to another. Well, that might be different. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Kevin is just shaking his head, Colin, because he can't stand the idea of being unable to walk in that courtroom and make his presence felt in the middle of a trial. This is what I'm well, going to say. Hologram, Kevin. Could. This is this is what, and this is what I, I was shaking my head at. And James will agree with this. I'm making my hologram skinnier. I'm it just will be, Colin, <laughs> as the laws are written right now, impossible for there to be an augmented reality in the courtroom. Oh, you know why, not impossible. Don't ever. Say well, it, it's it will not be. A, it will be illegal. It will be unconstitutional, <laughs> at least in a criminal context. Because we've got this funky little thing in the Sixth Amendment okay, called the Confrontation Clause. Okay. And I don't think it's just limited to cross-examination. I think as I got to be in the room with you oh, is that to ask you questions. Well, my, I mean, my but, confrontation. But, could, but look at COVID. I mean, COVID. argue yeah. that, you know, the conference that with respect to the Confrontation Clause, if you're going to take a very little reading of it, yeah. um, you could argue that, well, if you can see someone, even though if you're not physically there that's not a justice thomas argument that ain't confrontation (laughs) colin i can't grab you i can't i can't i can't feel you breathe you can't see me you can't see me staring at you this is this is covid though how many jury trials which is that um you know there are gonna be some challenges to i think you know how we comply with the constitution and or Mm -hmm. potentially need to update the constitution in some ways to accommodate the technology mm. that exists now and in the future. If that, how will that happen? I have no idea. I really would be. Um, yeah. A little it's interesting. To think of, um, of anyone touching the constitution right yeah. now because of how yeah. difficult, first of all, it is to make changes and be yeah. of those who would be possible making those changes. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there is this growing tension between, I think, what has long been standing kind of rules of operating, whether it be in a courtroom or elsewhere, with respect to lawyering yeah. and technology. And I think that sort of tension is going to need to be resolved some in some way, form or fashion going forward. And I, I don't know how that's going to happen, but it will need to happen. Well, that's changed some already, Colin, yeah. since since COVID, because, you know, I, I, f- I feel like the the older generation of lawyers still has this perception that even depositions, I need to be in front of the person because there's an intimidating factor right. of me asking you questions, you know, while I'm face to face with you verse. I mean, even me, I love the idea of being on a Zoom or, you know, WebEx, whatever it is to to handle a deposition because I'm you know I don't have to get in my car and drive three and a half hours right and your client loves it too because they don't have to pay for you to to fly to Kentucky to take a a deposition of somebody right and I I think that mindset for at least the younger lawyers of you know having to be in the room because it's so Mm -hmm. necessary I think that's transitioning a little bit from a from a lawyer standpoint so that's going to make it even more you know a bigger ability process of, of possibly having this virtual type. Do you scenario. think it would change any jurisdictional arguments at all? How do you subpoena somebody? Yeah. How you got to take that out. You got to take it. You got to change rule 45. 
Because okay. now you're 100 feet, you're 100, more than 100 miles from the courthouse. If you can do it, I, I can. I mean, I need to get you here. I think it would have some impact. This is in what I rules. do believe, and I say this, and I do agree with what you were saying, Colin. And this is going to be the first time it broke here on this podcast. Mm. <laughs> the next amendment in the Constitution that will be ratified will be surrounding artificial intelligence. It won't be. We thought it would might be a um, right to life. Mm -hmm. It might have been some sort of LGBTQIA agenda. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be surrounded around tech, legal tech, and, and why what, does what it have to be a constitutional amendment? Let's talk about that. What do you think, Colin? Um, again, I I'm one who I I tend to be skeptical of constitutional change because of how purposely it is hard it is yes. to make um, amendments to the constitution, but also. You know, I think that, um, you know, I'm going to be honest. I just don't trust the government to be able to do this effectively right now. Um, <laughs> going forward, um, will there be some constitutional change needed? Quite possibly. Um, but I think what is more likely to happen going forward, at least for the time being, will be it'll be a, at least in the U.S., it will be a state-by-state -state approach. Well, um, Lord. <laughs> which is not great. Because yeah. um, mm. as we've seen, you know, state-by-state -state approaches to issues yeah. don't often result in... Um, we've seen the data privacy mess that we've made, which e each yeah, state exactly. now is not so, only... Go ahead. Um, you know, say what you will about the EU. I, if nothing else, at least they, for the time being, tend to be fairly co consistent in terms of the laws that they put out there, the U.S. not so much. So it's a work in progress. Um, I think it's going to be challenging. But again, it just points to the larger issue of mm. this tension between Constitution and technology and how we accommodate technology. Um, and like I said, I think it's going to start at a smaller level on a state level and or even perhaps a, a city and town level. I mean, we've already seen some attempts at that being made in terms of use of applic individual applications like TikTok, for example. So yeah. uh, right. we'll see what happens. But that would be my guess, um, which is mm. going to make things a little a little challenging. Um, but, you know, we, we shall see. The bottom line, though, is, again, technology is not going anywhere. It's going to continue to advance. So it, it doesn't really, you know, care about what we think about it it's gonna people are gonna continue to innovate continue to create yes and our job really is just not to get left behind <clears throat> and and be ready for this it, mm -hmm. ai the the new technology <clears throat> will be the party line yeah. issue oh yeah. you know, we're, you know. We're, we're, the republicans will take a stance on this the yes. democrats will take a stance mm -hmm. on it this oh yeah it's utilized. gonna be i mean it's just like everything else it's gonna be politicized and if you yeah. ask me i mean i don't see technology as a really a political issue but it definitely will be yeah um, i agree it's just because most people who are developing technology don't really have a set political yeah. agenda it's really just a matter of just trying to create things because we're innovative and we're creative and we want to create so i think that's absolutely true um, you know it'll be it'll be interesting mm. i mean you know we've already but we've already seen i think some elements of that with um you know with open ai and elon musk's grok um which i've not used uh and other applications just everyone you know people inserting kind of their personal agendas into uh, these tools, which is not really 
great for anyone in particular. How much does does because it's such an interesting arena right now? How much does one sort of platform or, or program impact the others? Because, like for instance, yesterday we were talking about Tesla and the recall on the AI feature. In my mind, my mind goes, you can't trust any of it because Tesla's not working and I'm not trusting anything else. So do you see a lot of, you know, interconnection and interplay between, you know, ChatGPT, Tesla, Tesla, other other large language learning models? Is it LLLM or LLM? LLM. Large language models or large learning models or language learning models? Large language models. Large language models. How much do you see that sort of what happens with one sort of impacts them all? Well, I think what's happening is we're seeing us test the limits of current artificial intelligence technologies. And so, you know, in the case of Tesla, I think that part of that is, a, you know, self-driving cars in general, while they exist and they're getting better, they're so not not great. Um, and that's in part due to, I think, the unpredictability in some parts of human drivers. Um, so, yeah, I think that we're... I think that there is an interplay and really we're kind of just seeing, you know, the technology evolve and, and we're always, I think humans in general are always trying to test the limits of what's possible. And that isn't necessarily always so great, particularly when it involves um, yeah. things that have the potential to endanger others or ourselves. So um, mm-hmm. I think going forward, there definitely will be some greater focus in terms of, not just use of these technologies, but what is safe to do with these technologies currently and what's not necessarily safe. Right. Um, and again, I think the self-driving car area is, I think, well, on the one hand, it's really cool to see and it's definitely getting better. On the other hand, yeah, it's definitely not as reliable as we would want it to be, particularly um, in situations where there is an uncertain amount of risk uh, in part driven by the unpredictability of right. other forces like other drivers on the yeah, road. you're trying to insert mm. order in a chaotic <clears throat> system and that's that's really <clears throat> you know a tough thing to do that made me think of another yeah i mean i think technology can handle a certain amount of chaos and, and it's getting better but again you know technology is very systematic mm-hmm. uh and society is not always as systematic as technology would think uh as technology seems to operate in so there definitely is that tension what were you gonna say james uh I, that made me think of another pain point oh Misty. let's hear it R- reliance 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 on on the technology i mean think about your iphone and how much we rely upon these things and you know you get accustomed to utilizing things the the self-driving cars like the older attorneys would tell you word perfect they're still crying over word yeah. perfect going away you didn't know where word perfect is is before microsoft word and they all loved it older attorneys <laughs> loved it loved it and they're still smirchy about it but but you but you think about you think about that you get accustomed to using something so much you rely upon you it you do and that's going to cause some some problems yeah there. yeah well well colin um, how do you, I know it was fairly innovative for you to go into legal technology, but I know a lot of law students now are considering it a, you know, a career avenue. Would you, do you have any advice to give them to, um, start to get experience in that area? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, first of all, uh, I think legal tech has created a number of different opportunities, uh, 
for those that want to go into it, whether they want to be more on the programming side, the analytics side, or perhaps want to be in legal operations, which really are sort of the the translators and the bridge between the legal, the tech, and the business world. So there are plenty of different opportunities to go out there. I think the best way to go about it is asking yourself why you're interested in legal tech uh, and use that answer to drive your evaluation of potential opportunities uh, based off of your background, your experience, kind of what you're hoping to achieve. And there are plenty of resources out there that exist with respect to um, finding potential roles and or learning more about the space. Um, there's obviously my book, but there's also plenty of blogs. And then in terms of specific opportunities, there are sites like um, Legal Tech Hub, which kind of gives an overview of different vendors and resources in legal tech. There also is legal.io, which is more of a job slash resource site for those looking for opportunities in the legal space. So there's plenty of different ways to learn more um, about the space. It's really just dependent upon what is your dry what's your primary driver for wanting to learn more about legal tech because uh, it is a broad space and it's evolving and so it really in, is in large part up to you to figure out exactly where to start because otherwise you could easily get overwhelmed i would say yeah absolutely and and i would add follow colin on linkedin he is you know a very great follow i learn something every day when i read his posts so i appreciate that um well, I want to do something fun. We always try to, to incorporate a fun activity. And part of being persuasive, part of being persuasive <laughs> is getting a theme um, that can keep your jury can keep in mind throughout your whole through your whole case. And we have a lot to learn out there from um, advertisers, right? Mm-hmm. They're really good at bringing, you know, getting jingles that kind of stick in our, our head. So Finger looking good. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Finger KFC. looking good. Yes, sir. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you guys on some jingles, see if you can, <laughs> see if you can name the product. And so I was talking here we go. What are you? What are you talking about? What are you doing? Speaking, about Speaking of that, you haven't brought. I know. I didn't want to say this, Colin. What you don't know is this: I have not had food since Sunday. I'm on this five day water only. <laughs> stupid. Journey. Oh my god! So, so Dana, Dana, Dana White, Joe Rogan. It's, it's in the Bible too. This is which I credit it to. Uh, okay. Whatever. Kevin. But um, I'm, uh, I'm struggling. He's gonna break down. I would not survive. I tried to fast. For one day in my life, it did not end well for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, you ready? Yeah. You just shout it out if you know it. They're magically delicious. Oreos. Magically delicious. How can you people not know this? Fruit Loops. No. You're getting closer. Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms. Oh, Dang. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dang. Magically delicious. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right, you got to fill in the blank here. I'm going to give you the blank. It's ready? Uh huh. Like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that was easy. Okay, okay, okay. Um, uh, I want my baby back, baby back, baby I, back. Uh, out, out back. Or chilies. Chilies, yeah. Chilies. Yeah. yeah. Baby. You see Kevin likes the food. Is it, can you, can you taste those ribs right ooh, now, ooh, Kevin? Ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah. I'm eating them all for Vinny's. <laughs> thank right. you, Vinny's. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Uncle Vinny's out of Carolina Beach. Bringing us free lunch tomorrow. Um. <laughs> Be all that you can be. Army? Yeah, you got <laughs> oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dang. I thought I was about to say Nike, but I was like, it's just do it. Okay. I was going to say Gary. That's, that's <laughs> right, I got to do this one with my hands. Uh-oh. Clap on, clap off. It's the lights. What's the clap name off. of it? Yes, there you go. What Carl. is it? The clapper? clapper. 
What? Don't you remember that's, the old that's lady? An old one. I just remember the old lady in the <laughs> ad, going, you know, clap on, clap on. I'm like, Ellie's gonna break her hand. She's clapping. Clapper? I don't. I didn't know Clapper. Know the Clapper? I don't remember, I remember the infomercial. Let's see this time. Oh. They got a Bob Ross Clapper. Uh, Kevin, I'm so disappointed. I know, man. <laughs> I need one. Twenty nine ninety nine. I do it all day. That's embarrassing. Now everybody know. has Alexa. Now, Colin, everybody's Alexa turned on bedroom. Alexa that's right. On the bathroom. Clapper is gone. Okay, you got to fill in the blank on this one. You ready? My baloney has a first name. It's... O-S-C-A-R. <laughs> Kevin's killing this game. <laughs> Oscar Mayer Wieners. Good. I want to be an Oscar Mayer Wiener. <laughs> you didn't know that one, Colin? Oh, come Golly, on. Golly, y'all are on the rocks, man. Okay, on let's see rocks. if we got... Oh, here we go. Everybody should get this one. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Pepto-Bismol. Tums. Alka Seltzer. Per Tom Peterson. Yeah. Tom <laughs> I can tell you that that, that Alka Seltzer works perfectly for so many different things. It's it's really kind of ridiculously good. I, this, it is, right? It does work. I, okay. I take it. I take it. Well, never mind. When, <laughs> we don't want to know what you take. just looks at me like, you look crazy. I know. Okay, pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. If you have kids, you know this one. DiGiorno? Come on, James. I bagel bites. Robin. Bagel bites. Bagel bites. Oh, wow. Okay. Bagel bites. They're, one they're more. not a big bagel no. bites fan. Mm, bagel bites. Mm. Okay, you got to fill in the blank. This is the last one. Okay. You ready? Right. Call blank. That's the name. And away goes troubles down the drain. Draino. Rota Rooter. Oh. Rota Rooter. <laughs> what? I ain't never heard of those. That was good. Well, Colin, I, I've I've, all, I've heard of the company, but I I'm not great with not great with those jingles. No. <laughs> it was funny. I probably wouldn't have been good if I would have had to answer them honestly. Yeah. Colin, please tell everyone where they can find your book on sale. Absolutely, it is available on Amazon, and you can get it as you know for your Kindle hardcover. Whatever, whatever version you want. Um, if you like it, please re- leave a review. If you don't like it, don't leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same for this podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, it's been a great conversation. Thank you for joining us. Um, everyone out there, thank you for watching the Zealous Advocate podcast. We appreciate if you take the time to give us a review as well. And please um Follow us on Spotify or wherever you find your podcast. And we will see you next time on the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to follow us wherever you get your podcasts.